Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. The future is urban. By 2030, urban areas are expected to grow by 1.4 billion, with that growth occurring almost entirely in the developing world. Cities will account for 60% of the world's population and 70% of the world's GDP. The urban environment will be the locus where drivers of instability will converge. It is the domain that by the year 2030, 60% of urban dwellers will be under the age of 18. The cities that grow the fastest will be the most challenged as resources become constrained and illicit networks fill the gap left by overextended and undercapitalized governments. The risk of natural disasters compounded by geography, climate changes, unregulated growth, and substandard infrastructure intersect to frustrate humanitarian relief. Growth will magnify the increasing separation between rich and poor. Religious and ethnic tensions will be a defining element in the social landscape. Stagnation will coexist with unprecedented development as impoverishment, slums, and shanty towns rapidly expand alongside modern high rises, technological advances, and ever increasing levels of prosperity. This is the world of our future. It is one we are not prepared to effectively operate within, and it is unavoidable. Megacities are complex systems where people and structures are compressed together in ways that defy both our understanding of city planning and military doctrine. It is an ecosystem that demands a highly agile and adaptive force to successfully operate within. Infrastructures will vary radically, with concentrations of high tech transportation, globally connected air and seaports, contemporary water, utilities, and waste disposal intermixed with open landfills, overburdened sewers, polluted water, and makeshift power grids. Living habitats will extend from the high rise to the ground level cottage to subterranean labyrinths, each defined by its own social code and rule of law. 
Social structures will be equally challenged if not dysfunctional, as historic ways of life clash with modern living, ethnic and racial differences are forced to live together, and criminal networks offer opportunity for the growing mass of unemployed. This becomes the nervous system of non-nation-state unaligned individuals and organizations that live and work in the shadows of national rule. Where physical domains can be seen, digital domains will have limitless potential to breed and expand without limit. Digital security and trade will be increasingly threatened by sophisticated illicit economies and decentralized syndicates of crime to give adversaries global reach at an unprecedented level. This will add to the complexities of human targeting, as a proportionally smaller number of adversaries intermingle with a larger and increasing number of citizens. The scale and density of these domains is daunting. In a city of 10 million, where you hold the support of 99% of the population, the remaining 1% represents a threat of 100,000. It is an environment of convergence, hidden amongst the enormous scale and complexity of the megacity. These are the future breeding grounds, incubators, and launching pads for adversaries and hybrid threats. Linked globally, these are man-made labyrinths that provide refuge and movement across the vast sections of these cities where alternate forms of governance have taken control. The advice of doctrine, from Sun Tzu to current field manuals, has provided two fundamental options. Avoid the cities, or establish a cordon to either wait out the adversary, or drain the swamp of non-combatants and engage the remaining adversaries in high-intensity conflict within. Even our counterinsurgency doctrine, honed in the cities of Iraq and the mountains of Afghanistan, is inadequate to address the sheer scale of population in the future urban reality. From the streets of Aachen to the Citadel and Way, we have defeated adversaries who attempted to use urban terrain to their advantage. Urban conflict is written deep into the Army's histories. But in tomorrow's conflict, these megacities are orders of magnitude greater in complexity, and our current options do not meet strategic ends. Our future operations must allow us to rapidly return the city to the people. They will be too large and complex to isolate or cordon in their entirety, yet our soldiers will have to operate within these ecosystems with minimal disruption and flow. Our current and past strategies can no longer hold. We are facing environments that the masters of war never foresaw. We are facing a threat that requires us to redefine doctrine and the force in radically new and different ways. The future army will confront a highly sophisticated urban-centric threat that will require that urban operations become the core requirement for the future land force. The threat is clear. Our direction remains to be defined. The future is urban. And that opening clip that you saw, these are the best minds in the U.S. military. As they look into the future, you can see that they are deeply worried. When I look around me, the, the, the masses, nobody seems to be worried. Everybody seems to think, oh, life just goes on. And yet the top minds in the military and of the most powerful nation in the world are looking into the future and they're deeply worried. As we erase our borders, as we allow hundreds of, and tens of millions and thousands of, of migrants in, and we no longer have cities, Canada is the first post-national state, according to our prime minister. There are uh, all kinds of um, marches in the U.S. saying no borders, no walls, no USA. Uh, as we erase the borders and we just allow this movement of people, the U.S. military is saying we have no idea how we will combat these, these uh, foes, these enemies in megacities. The future is a future of lawlessness. As we look into the future, we actually see it more clearly than the top minds of, of the U.S. military because we have the ancient scripture which looks forward. And there's no need to fear. 
because it's all written down, and it's it, we have a we have a guidebook that tells us how to navigate and how to be successful in the future. And the just shall live by faith. And so, how to navigate is written here in the ancient text, particularly here in the book of Hebrews, and specifically in chapter twelve, which we will cover this evening. Let's open with a word of prayer and get into the study for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, just very humble, very grateful, and in awe of you, of your word, of your truth, of your love. We thank you, Father, that we can open this text, that we can study it, that we can understand it, and that we can be guided by it. We pray that you'll bless us this evening, that you'll deepen our understanding, and with that, that you'll deepen our faith and our conviction. We praise you, Lord. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' most holy name. So we are up to Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, we finished last week the faith chapter, the famous uh, faith chapter. And here in chapter 11, as we just uh, finish off what we covered uh, last time, you remember that it concluded telling us that these martyrs were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. <laughs> These are the faithful brethren. The, this is the proof that Paul is using to tell the Hebrews that the just shall live by faith. Well, here are the just. Here are the just. Here are those that were deemed righteous by God. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were cut in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. This is the future for God's people when the globalists with the Nimrod agenda have their way. That God stopped Nimrod in the past because it's at every imagination of the heart they will do, but now he's not stopping. Now this Babylonian Nimrod agenda has free reign. And the devil is the same. He hates God's people. But the just shall live. We do not need to fear death. And, and the devil holds power over mankind because of their fear of death. We need to rid ourselves of this. Because we need to understand we are involved in a project called eternal life. We're involved in, in this, this endeavor that God has to bring eternal life to mankind. And we have it, those of us with the Holy Spirit, we have eternal life in us right now. We have the deposit of eternal life. And this is, this is how we govern ourselves. Understanding that we will live forever. And all of these faithful brethren who have been slain and overcome by the evil one, they're going to stand on their feet again. And, and when they stand on their feet, they'll live forever. And so they were destitute, so they were cut off. They, they could not have access. They couldn't in, be, participate in the economy anymore. So they were destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. This, this is God's evaluation of them, that the world is not worthy of them. Even though the world is looking at them and saying they're, they're worthy of nothing, they're worth nothing. Kill them. They're, 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 they have no value. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth 
And these all, all of these saints that the Apostle has itemized for us, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. So all of them were looking forward to the promise, and all of them received a good, a good report. So they were worthy of the promise, but none of them, none of them received the, received the promise. Why? God, having provided some better thing for us, that they, the faithful under the old covenant, without us, the faithful under the new covenant, should not be made perfect. So they cannot come to the end game, the, the, the telios, the, the, the target, what the, the objective that God had in mind from the beginning, they cannot come to that end point without us. So once we, we, we all rise together, the, the New Testament Israel, the New Covenant Israel with the Old Covenant saints, we all rise together and come to this point of maturity, this point of completion, this, this uh, objective that God had in mind for mankind to be born into his family. We, we come into that together. So now we come into chapter 12. Therefore, seeing we also are compassed or surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. So what is this also? Therefore, seeing we also are surrounded. So does it mean that they were surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and so we also are surrounded? No, they are the great cloud of witnesses. The also is in addition to. So number one, Without us, they cannot come to perfection. They cannot come to the teleos. That's number one. In addition to that, therefore, since their, their example, we're surrounded by these examples of, of, of commitment and martyrdom. So in addition to the fact that they have to wait for us to achieve teleos, in addition to that, the, we're surrounded by this cloud this great cloud of martyrs martyron that all of these people who are willing to put their life on the line in order to inherit eternal life they have to wait for us but in addition to having to wait for us they are tr a tremendous example for us we're surrounded by these examples of of people who were not afraid of death and who remain true to god's word until death because of these two things, let us lay aside every weight. Let us not be burdened now, the, the cares of this life. Let us not be burdened by these things. In addition to laying aside every weight, let us also lay aside the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, again, we, we have to stay in context. It's easy to say, yeah, you know, jump into this verse. Um, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let's lay aside the sin. You know, because sin, it's easy to sin. It's easy to fall into sin. It, he's not speaking generally about sin here. He's speaking about the sin. There's a specific sin which so easily besets us. And that's the sin we must lay aside. And so he's not introducing a new topic. This is the topic that he's been talking about all the way along. Let's go back to chapter 3. Take heed, brethren, verse 12, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. This is the sin. This is, the, this is, this is his whole, whole argument that in times past God spoke to the fathers. 
and they didn't listen. Why didn't they listen? Because of unbelief. Their sin was the sin of faithlessness. And that's the sin that so easily besets us. Fear, faithlessness, this unbelief, this evil heart of unbelief. So he, he, he says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. This is the sin. This is, this is his whole argument. This is, this is what he's trying to prevent them from doing. In verse 19, so we see that they could not enter. Why, why, why couldn't they enter the promise? Why couldn't they enter the rest? Because of unbelief. They blew it. They blew it because of unbelief. Even though God spoke to them. And now God is speaking to us. We better not blow it through unbelief. Verse, chapter 4, verse 6. Seeing therefore it remains that some, that because of it's written, some must enter the rest. And they to whom it was first preached entered not in. Why didn't they enter the rest? Because of unbelief. This is a very powerful sin. And this was the sin that the Hebrews were on the verge of committing, that Paul had to swoop in and, and rattle them and say, wake up, what are you doing? Don't do this. Verse 11 of chapter 4. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man, anybody, fall after the same example of the forefathers of what? What was, their, what was the example of the forefathers? Unbelief. So this now is his argument. So we come into chapter 12. It's all part of the same argument that he's making. And he just made this argument that the just shall live by faith. And then he's giving us example after example after example of the just. And how they believed in the promise, unlike the fathers. And how no matter what, they held on. Even to the point of death and martyrdom. And so we're surrounded by these martyrs. Therefore... Seeing we also are surrounded with so great a cloud of martyrs, let us lay aside every weight, the cares of this world, and the sin which does so easily beset us, the sin of unbelief. Lay it aside. And instead, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So there is a particular race that is set before us, Let's run that race. And, and it's very, very good to think of this as a marathon. This is a marathon. It, it's, it's not a sprint. We have to run with endurance. Or he translates it here, patience. Let us run with patience. The, the Greek is hupomene, which means in staying power, perseverance, endurance. So instead of betraying God, instead of being cowardly, Instead of uh, turning back, that's the sin of unbelief, which is it's, it's so easy to be fearful and be a coward. To be a Christian, you have to be courageous. So instead of being a coward, let's understand there is a race that is set before us. And that's the race we have to run. So God, they, they are not going to, the, the, the previous martyrs under the Old Covenant, they're not going to inherit eternal life without us. There was a race that they had to run, and they, they ran it, and they ran it with patience, with endurance. There's a race that we have to run. Do we think, it's, this is our psychology, oh yeah, they had to suffer in order to get through and be faithful to the end, and they've made it. 
We, oh, we're the new covenant. We don't have to suffer. What we have to do is just keep the Sabbath. We go to services a couple of hours a week, listen to a sermon, it's quite entertaining, got nothing else to do. And then after the sermon, we put our feet up and we have a cup of coffee and we just drink coffee until eternal life comes. It's too bad that the previous saints had to suffer that way. This is madness. We are recruited into a battle. This is a spiritual battle. The devil hates God and he hates mankind. And God is acting to redeem mankind from this tyrannical hold of the devil. And he's recruiting soldiers early, first fruit soldiers. And that's who we are. And so there's a race, there's a, the, the uh, Greek is uh, agon, where we get the word agony, where you think of a marathon where you have to agonize, you're running for four hours and you're in pain, but you don't stop, you just keep running. You agonize. Any, any uh, athletic contest involves agony. And so let us agonize with endurance. This race that God has put in front of us, this contest with the devil that God has put in front of us, and so remember when we were studying Luke, Christ warned us. He said, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. It's not because we're bad people. It's not because we did something wrong and so people hate us. It's because we name the name of Christ. We name the, the name of the Holy One of Israel. And this drives Satan crazy. And so he injects this hatred in his puppets and that hatred is turned on the followers of Christ. And so if, that's why I say, if you're going to be a Christian, if I'm going to be a Christian, there's no such thing as a, cowardice, a Christian of cowardice. Cowardice and faith don't go together. So if we're going to be Christians, we have to be courageous. And the only way we can be courageous is if we put our lives on the line. So when we sign up to follow Christ, we've died. We, we died with Christ at baptism. And so when we come up out of that watery grave, Every day above the ground is a bonus. I'm still alive. I wasn't expecting to still be alive. I, but there must be work for me to do. The only reason I'm still alive, there must be work for me to do. Let's get busy. Let's get busy. And so Christ tells us, this is if you have a red letter Bible, as you see here, this is in red letters. You and I shall be hated by everyone, everyone for his name's sake. Do we want to sugarcoat this and say, no, I believe I can be popular. I believe everybody's going to love me. I'm such a nice person. They just need to get to know me. This is madness. However, everyone's going to hate us, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. The just shall live by faith. Don't be afraid of death, because not a hair of your head shall perish. You're coming back to life with a full head of hair, and you're going to live forever. You will not perish. Then he says, in your patience, in your hupomene, in your endurance, in your perseverance, possess you your souls. That the only way we can hold on to our life is with endurance. That we're, we're just going to endure the, the race, the agony that is set before us. It's not going to frighten us. We're going to run this race with resolve. We're not expecting anything. All we want to do is praise Jesus Christ. And if that's a crime, if that's hate speech, so be it. Because it's the truth. 
and whatever people want to call it, that's up to them. But we will not back down from praising the Lord and declaring to the world that the kingdom of God is coming. So we must with patience. In other words, if we are impatient, we cannot hold on to our souls. The just shall live by faith. Faith involves patience. So it's in this understanding of what God is doing, the bigger picture, that we possess our souls. In Matthew, he says the same thing. He that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. Same word, hupomene. What we would translate patience, we could really translate endurance, perseverance, getting through the agony. He that shall endure, how long do we have to endure? To the finish line. If, if you run a marathon, and I've never run a full marathon, but I've run three quarters, and then a half marathons and three quarters, I could run all the way, and maybe a hundred meters from the finish line, I stop. They'll just put DNF, did not finish. So nothing matters, there's no time, there's no report. DNF, did not finish. You have to cross the finish line. And it's with agony. It's everything hurts, but you just keep going. He that shall endure, not everybody, those of us who endure to the end, those are the ones that will be saved. And that's why Paul says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You're going to, we're going to need each other. We, you saw from the opening clip, the U.S. Pentagon, the best minds are saying, the world is changing. It's out of control. We don't, none of our strategies are going to work in this new world. We're going to lose control. We've got to rethink everything. Well, we don't have to rethink everything because the word tells us, yep, iniquity shall abound. There's going to be chaos, but the just shall live by faith. He says here, blessed are you when men shall hate you. So he says, blessed are you when men shall hate you. So men are going to hate us. But Christ is telling us it's a blessing. Don't worry about it. Blessed are you men, when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company. So remember the, the saints, they were excluded. They were wandering in deserts. They were excommunicated. Same thing's going to happen with us. We're going to be excommunicated. We're going to be excluded. And he says, they'll separate you from their company. So, you know, digitally, we'll be erased. You, you, you can't be on these platforms anymore. You can't buy and sell anymore. God says, you're blessed when this happens. Blessed are you when men shall hate you. So, if we're Christians and we're popular, everywhere we go, we're fitting in, no problem, we're not controversial, I don't know if we're blessed. I think when we stand up for Christ, we are going to be controversial. And we're going to be excluded. And we're going to be hated. And God says we're going to be blessed. When these things happen, we are blessed. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you. You're, it's gonna be, you're gonna be insulted. And cast out your name as evil. <laughs> we're just praising Christ. And we're the evil ones. We're, we're, we're haters. Our speech is hate speech. We're evil. And all of this is for the Son of Man's sake. Listen to what he says. Rejoice in that day. 
he doesn't say, oh, poor you, you know, I realize it's depressing, you know, see if you can find a shoulder to cry on. He says, rejoice. When this happens to you, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. This is Jesus Christ's advice. Leap for joy when this happens. What kind of mindset do we have to have that when these things happen and everybody's feeling sorry for us, we're jumping for joy? What is it that we understand that nobody else understands? That when these things happen, we leap for joy. He says, why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Not that we're going to heaven, that he's in heaven and he has, his, his, he has our reward and he's coming to earth with that reward. And it's great. So that, that means our view has to be a long-term view. We, we see today, but we're locked into tomorrow. We're locked into the finish line. Because we're talking about eternal life here. Think about this. The just shall live and 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 keep on living forever by faith. So it's this faith that we have that we believe God is a rewarder of, of them that diligently seek Him. Those that diligently do His word. We, we really believe God is and that He will reward us. And He's saying, jump for joy. When the devil is against you, when the devil's puppets are against us, let's jump for joy. Your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. And so we just read about that in Hebrews 11. Same thing happened to them. It's going to happen to us. This is the race. This is, so we must run with patience, with endurance, the race that God has put in front of us. Here it is. This is what we must run with patience and endurance. Back to Hebrews 12. Looking unto Jesus. Actually, there's one thing I wanted to bring out here in Hebrews verse 1. It's the, word, it's the verb run. So let us run. That verb is in the, um, what's that tense called? The subjunctive. Whenever a verb is in the subjunctive, it means it's a possibility. It, it doesn't mean it's actually going to happen. We hope it's going to happen. So we must run. Paul is hoping that we will run with patience the race that is set before us. It's in the subjunctive. Now, when we come to Hebrews 12, verse 2, in order to run this race with endurance, we must look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher, the, the teleotis. So he's the one who comes to teleos of our faith. He's the one that brings us to teleos. He's the initiator of it, and he's the finisher of it. And he's the one that's actually crossed the finish line. He's the one that died, was buried, and then came back to life. And because he has crossed the finish line, we now have an example. Of all the cloud of witnesses we have, all we have are the just men who have gone into the grave. But none of them have come back out of the grave. Only Jesus. So Jesus has gone into the grave and he's come back out. And so he's crossed the finish line. And so we must look to Jesus to say this, this, is, this is our fate. And he's done it. And now he's bringing us to this glory. So we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And what did he do? Who for the joy 
that was set before him. So he didn't look at today. He looked at the finish line. And there was a joy, when he crossed the finish line, there was a joy that was set before him. And so that's how he was able to run the race that was set before him. He didn't focus on the agony. He focused on the finish line. And so for the joy that was set before him, he endured. Hupomone. Hupomone. He, he had patience. So be, the reason he had patience is because of the hope, the joy, that was set before him. So there's a real joy that's in front of him, or that was in front of him, and that's why he endured. That's why he went as a lamb, silent to the slaughter. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He, he didn't think anything of the shame. And so this is, we must be the same. When we are shamed, we must leap for joy and despise the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, which we read earlier. He, he is a high priest of the order of Melchizedek, and he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. It's done. He's completed it. He's run his course, and now he's bringing us to completion and to maturity. So there was a, he was able to endure because of the joy that was set before him. That's how he was able to run the race that was set before him. He focused on the finish line. Remember in Hebrews 6, Paul writes that by two immutable things, there was the promise to Abraham, and then there was the oath. The promise is immutable. God cannot lie. And then he put an oath on top of it. So by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong encouragement. So we have strong encouragement, because there's a promise and an oath on top of the promise. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So there was a joy set before Christ, and he was able to endure because he put his mind on that joy. He was able to run the race that was set before him. And now there's a hope set before us. And so we can now run our race, the race that's set before us, with endurance because of this hope, that our hope is in God's word. It's, it's impossible for God to lie. You can kill me, but the just shall live by faith. So I just have to have faith in this, in this oath, in this promise. And God will account it to me for righteousness, the same way he accounted it to Abraham. And because of that faith, I'm coming back to life. This, I just believe in the goodness of God. And God will bless me and bless you for our faith. He says, now consider, now for consider him that endured. I can't say it tonight. I need to drink some water. Excuse me. Hupomone. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. These are the devil's puppets, and they contradict righteousness. So think about Christ and how he endured this great contradiction of sinners against himself. Because if we don't think about this, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. This is the sin. This is the sin that so easily besets us. We get weary. We get tired. We get fearful. And we begin to entertain turning back. So don't do this. Instead, let us think about Christ. The joy that was set before him and how he just, when we were studying Luke, he began in Galilee and he just marched all the way. He, he, he preached all around Galilee and then he just set his mind to go to Jerusalem, knowing exactly what was going to happen to him when he arrived in Jerusalem. And he didn't bat an eyelash. 
He just went straight to Jerusalem to face these sinners head on. And this is, the, this is our Christ, and we are Christians. This is who we're following. So we have to consider his example and how he endured this contradiction, lest we, when we're facing this unrest and this chaos, this evil, I mean, you know, this week, they went into New Mexico, a compound, and they found a Muslim there who was abusing children from ages 1 to 15, starving them, abusing them, and training them how to go into schools to commit mass murder. They foiled the plot. The police arrested him. He was taken to court. And the judge looked at this and said, you know, I don't see here where you're a danger to society. So you can go on bail. What? What? Is there anything more evil than kidnapping and exploiting children and teaching these children and training them to destroy other children? And the judge, the liberal Marxist judge, says, I, I don't see how you're a danger to society. You can go back into society. On the other hand, someone like Tommy Robinson, who is simply reporting on the outcome of these gang rape cases, so that we keep it in mind and we don't let these judges get away, let them get away with, with unimaginable evil. He's just reporting. He's arrested. And within five hours, he's sentenced, convicted, and sent to jail, almost certain death. He's tortured. Uh, fortunately, we did not, people did not forget him. And there was an outcry and raising of funds, and he was able to be released. But he was certainly sent to his death. So... How does this work? How did the, what is the mindset of a Marxist that, on the one hand, let him go, he's on bail, he's free, there's no harm here. And on the other hand, this is terrible. Tommy Robin is, is such an evil man that we need to lock him up and send him to his death. This is the world we live in. This this contradiction of sinners. And in this world of chaos and evil, we can become weary. And chapter 12 is all about a call to endurance. Don't get weary. It's going to get bad. And people are going to be like, oh no, it's, things are going to be better tomorrow. And then it's going to get worse. And then people will, well, it's really not that bad. And then it's going to get really bad. And people are going to lose their faith. They're going to think, oh, I thought I was going to be raptured. And they're just going to become completely disillusioned. And when it gets really bad, we're sitting thinking, you know what? It's, it's going to get worse. The prophecy tells us. God tells us ahead of time. And so we are stoic. We are faithful. And no matter how bad it gets, we're expecting it to get worse because we know God is faithful. He will finally act and turn everything around. And we're fine with it. The just will live by faith. Now, we must not be weary and faint. And so here in Hebrews 2, remember the argument he says, it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of our salvation perfect, complete, mature through sufferings. So this is how he came to perfection. This is how he came to Tellius. This is how he came to completion, through sufferings. And we're following him. He, he's the captain. He goes first, and now we can follow him. And we are being brought to completion. We are brought, being brought to Tellius through sufferings. And the ancient saints are waiting. They went through it. They're waiting for us to go through it. And then we all rise together. Back to Hebrews 12. He says to them, look, you're, you're, you're contemplating defection. 
you're contemplating apostasy, you're getting cowardly, and then he says to them, you have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. So I'm not impressed. Yes, this is going to be very difficult, but none of you have shed blood yet. We are called to be witnesses. We are to be the witnesses of God. This means martyrdom, that we stand on truth. We will look evil in the eye and we will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And we rejoice over his kingdom. And we will not back down from the truth, even if it costs us our lives. He's saying to the Hebrews, look, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So it's not, it's not time for a pity party here. No pity for you. So remember, he said to them in, in Hebrews 10, to remember the former days that they did face persecution, in which after you were illuminated, after you received the Holy Spirit, you endured, hupomone, a great fight of afflictions. So they did suffer, but they didn't shed blood. They were persecuted, they were imprisoned, but nobody, shed, nobody lost their lives. Whereas here with the Hebrews, uh, with the, in the faith chapter, these brethren were stoned, they were cut in two, they were slain with the sword, they were tormented, blood was shed. And the race that is set before us, we read in Revelation 13. In Revelation 13, verse 7, John revealed, Christ revealed to John that it was given unto the beast, this, this military power, this, this global military politician, it was given unto him to make war with the saints. This is the race that's set before us. We, we need Christian backbone. You know, we can't be Christians who, I don't want to hear bad news. I don't want to hear the news. I, I just want to hear good things. Oh, I, I want to hear, I'm going to put on some music. I, I want to be positive. This is positive. Eternal life is positive. Let's face facts. And here are the facts. That it was given unto the beast to make war with the saints, and not only that, and to overcome them. This is the race that's set before us, that the beast will be successful. The beast will overcome the saints. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So they can go ahead and worship the beast. We're not worshiping the beast, even if it costs us our lives. This is the race that's set before us. And he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell. We will be excluded. The same way the uh, brethren in Hebrews 11 were excluded. They were excommunicated. Same thing Christ tells us. We're going to be hated. We're going to be uh, kicked out of their assemblies. We're going to be deplatformed. No man might buy or sell unless he had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. How is our conviction? Is this going to worry us? Do, is, do, do, you know, do we have to drive fancy cars and wear fancy clothes and live in fancy houses, otherwise we're not happy? Or can we be in a desert with faith, knowing that we are counted righteous by God and we are heading to eternal life? He doesn't say no man might eat or drink because God says he will provide. It says we can't buy or sell in their system. This is the race that's set before us. Christ says in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. We have to make up our mind. 
No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We just can't. So Christ is telling us, make up your mind. He can bless us. He can bless us with fine things. We can bless us with fine cars and fine clothes. There's nothing wrong with wealth. But like Abraham, who was very wealthy, we're not attached to it. Like Moses, who was very wealthy, we're not attached to it. We, we, we count all of it as dung, like Paul did, so that we can hold on to this prize of eternal life. So we make, we, we've made the big decision. So there's no decision. We're like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're like Daniel. There's no decision to make here. Do your worst, king. We're, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. So do whatever you want. He says here in Matthew, Therefore I say unto you, because, because we can't serve God and mammon, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink. Don't worry about it. Nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. So the devil wants us to worry about these things. And the devil's puppets are going to threaten us with the withdrawal of these things. And Christ is saying to us, don't worry about these things. Nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? And remember, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. So we've made up our mind. We are going to follow God. We have access to this ancient scripture, which just lays everything out for us. And so we're just going to obey God. This is how we get a good report. This is how we are accounted faithful. Back to Hebrews 12. And you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not you the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. So the, the Hebrew brethren here in the first century were beginning to faint. And they've forgotten the exhortation which says, don't despise the chastening. And don't faint. When God rebukes us, we mustn't faint. So that exhortation comes from the Torah. It's in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 8.5 it says, You shall also consider in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God, so the Lord your God chastens you. That God cares for us. In the same way, I, I'm a father, some of you are parents. You care for your children. When you see them going the wrong way, you correct them so that they can go the right way. And then when they grow up, they're on the right path. I certainly was corrected as a young man. I, I can speak to the value of correction. If I was not corrected, I don't know where I would end up. But there are certain standards that I have now that are fixed as an adult because of how I was trained and corrected as a child. So don't forget that God says... Consider to, you shall consider in your heart, think, about, think deeply about this, that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. So Paul goes on to say, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So there really is a sense here of parental oversight that, that he's saying here, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And we saw that in Revelation, where Paul, where, where John revealed that Christ says to the church in Ephesus, or sorry, in, in Laodicea, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So the chastening is to an end. 
It's, it's to uh, bring them to God. So repent and be zealous. As many as I love, I, rebu re I, I rebuke and chasten. So Paul goes on to say, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? This is, this is what fathers do. But we have to, there's that word endure again. We must be patient. We must get through this chastening. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, and we saw that in Hebrews 11, then you are bastards and not sons. So if you're a bastard, it doesn't matter. Who cares? No, there's no oversight for you. But if we're sons, then we're going to have this parental oversight. And when we're going off, correction is needed. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. It's about correction. And we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? The just shall live by faith. So this correction that's coming, we have to understand that it's a part of the process. And, and just trust God. Because he's correcting us toward eternal life. So the correction leads to eternal life. And, and we, our fathers, our parents corrected us and we, rever we gave them reverence. So in this correction, let us give God reverence. For they truly, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure. So as a parent, maybe sometimes the kids are really noisy and you're trying to concentrate and you might correct your kids so that you can concentrate. So we're correcting them for our own pleasure. But he, for our profit. So Paul is saying, look, this correction that you're facing, it's actually for your benefit. And, and Paul was convinced at the time that I believe he was convinced that the, the time he was living in was the end time. He couldn't see this going on another 2,000 years. He didn't understand that that was not the last beast power that he was facing. We can now understand. We've got the book of Revelation. We've got all the other prophecies. We can now see that this correction is now coming upon us, upon whom the ends of the world have come. So, so God is doing this for our profit. What is that? That we might be partakers of his holiness. There, there is a conviction that's needed. There is a commitment that's needed to partake in God's holiness. Now, Paul, Paul concedes. No chastening for the present seems to be joyous. It, it's okay, I, I, I concede. This, this is difficult. And of course, no, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. But grievous, I agree. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So in Paul's mind, he's saying, look, the just shall live by faith. The correction is going to come upon everybody. But when it comes upon everyone, there's going to be a bifurcation. There's going to be a separation between sons and bastards, between the just and the wicked. And so this correction is going to prove who is who. Who's who? Everybody seems, everybody talks the same talk. Oh, yes, I believe in the Lord. Do you, do you believe in the Lord? Oh, bless you, brother. You believe in the Lord? Wonderful. And then the correction comes. and I, I thought that person was a pillar. Okay, this is how God tests. This is how God tries the hearts. This is how he sees what's really in our heart. What, what have we been working on all these years that God has given us? And it looks like he's giving us a little bit more time. What are we doing with the time? 
And how are we transforming ourselves? It's going to be seen. It's everything. Christ says that everything that's hidden will come to the light. And so this is where it really matters what we're doing. And as we go through this correction, it's going to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who actually work with the program that God has. Now, the just shall live by faith. Paul was calling on the prophecy to Habakkuk, where there was so much wickedness in the covenant community. Habakkuk was despondent. He couldn't believe, why isn't God doing something? And God answered and says, I, I am doing something, Habakkuk. Look what he says, verse 5, Habakkuk 1. Behold you among the heathen. So there are all these problems inside the covenant community. Don't look inside the covenant community for correction. Look outside. The correction that's going to come upon the covenant community is coming from the outside. Behold you among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. This, this is going to be outside of your imagination. What, what is this work that God is going to work? For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. So this, this is the prophecy. This, this is what uh, Paul is saying, the just shall live by faith. This is the correction on the covenant community. To, to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Habakkuk cannot believe it. God says you won't believe it. Habakkuk doesn't believe it. He says, aren't you from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. You're not going to do this. Aren't we going to live forever? O Lord, you have ordained them for judgment. And Almighty God, you have established them for correction. So Habakkuk came to understand that these wicked people, God is raising them up to judge his people, to correct his people. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? Oh, this is a force that is going to slay all the nations and bring all the nations under subjection. And it's going to hunt down God's people. And it's going to make war with the saints. And it's going to overcome the saints. And this is all part of the corrective process. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Write it down. Make it permanent. And make it plain upon tables. That he may run that reads it. We must run the race that is set before us. So we have to read. We have to read the vision to say, what is this race that is set before us? And then we have to run it with patience. And the patience is this understanding when God says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. It's for an appointed time. But at the end, it shall speak. And that's why Paul was calling on this prophecy, because he believed he was in the end time. And so he's saying, okay, I understand what's going on. You need to understand what's going on. The prophecy of Habakkuk is now speaking. But it's speaking now. At the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Don't believe anybody who says it's not happening. And you even see, again, that video at the, at the top of the study where the top minds in the military of the U.S., the most powerful nation on the earth, is saying we don't understand how we're going to cope with, with these mega cities and the enemies within our midst and even in overseas. 
Very, every, all of our, everything we know about strategic warfare, we need to throw that out the window and start again. At the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So it is in the context of this massive correction upon the covenant community that Habakkuk receives the insight and the understanding that it's okay. He says, we shall not die. And then God makes him understand the, the just, those who are declared righteous by God, shall live by faith. Christ says to us that these, he says, write the vision and make it plain upon tables. Christ says to us, these things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Don't commit apostasy. Don't turn back. And so Christ gives it to us undiluted. You're going to, oh, oh, Jesus, you're so negative. Jesus, why do you have to be so negative? Why are you just giving us all this bad news? Because I want you to be mature. I want you to run the race that's set before you with patience. So here's what's going to happen. And here's how it's going to go down. Get ready for this so that you don't lose faith. That you don't commit apostasy. That you don't fall into the sin that so easily besets us, which comes from fearfulness. I want you to be faithful. So I'm, I'm telling you ahead of time what's going to happen so that you can prepare yourself. Back to Hebrews 12. Therefore, lift up the hands which hang down. So now that we understand that this is a loving Father correcting us for our own profit, therefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. So we're running this race and, and we're feeble, like stop it. Have some Christian backbone and go forward. We are soldiers, go forward. Engage the enemy and make straight paths for your feet. Don't wander around, oh, maybe I can be popular. Maybe I won't be too controversial. I, I try to be nice. Make straight paths for your feet. Understand what we're involved in. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. So we all have this cowardice. We all have this weakness. If it persists, we're going to be thrown in the lake of fire. Cowards go into the lake of fire first. The faithless go into the lake of fire first. So we have to just make straight paths for our feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Same thing we read in Revelation, where Christ says to Ephesus, Remember, therefore, from when you've fallen. Same thing he's saying, uh, Paul is saying to the Hebrews. You, you, you withstood persecution in the past. You did the right works. You need to remember that. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Do what you were doing before. Or else. I don't know about you, but when Jesus Christ says, or else, that's not comfortable. Do this or else. I will come unto you quickly and will remove your candlestick out of its place unless you repent. So this is, you know, whatever's lame, let's get it healed. And let's just set our mind, make the big decisions early. We're done. We know what we're doing. We're, we, we're, we are heading, we are marching to eternal life. We are not afraid of, of death because we understand what comes after the grave. He says, follow peace with all men. And notice men is italicized. It's not follow peace with all men. That, that's not what Paul, Paul, 
Remember, this is in the context of Hebrews 10, where he says, consider one another. So this, all of this that we're studying now is in the, the context of considering one another. Follow peace with all, all brethren. Make sure we have peace with all brethren and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So don't think that we will see the Lord if we're in conflict with one another. You know, I'm so righteous and God loves me so much that I can persecute my brethren. I can tear my brethren apart. I can backbite my brethren. And then God's going to receive me in the kingdom. Why? Because it's me. I'm special. He says, like, look, unless there's peace and harmony and holiness in the congregation, peace and holiness, nobody is seeing the Lord. And I, I don't think we take this seriously. I think that we think we can be perverse. We can have conflict. We, we can um, have sexual immorality in the camp. And still we're going to see God. <laughs> no way. Paul is saying, look, unless there's peace and holiness, no man will see the Lord. So this is again in the, in the context of Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So we don't want anybody to fall into this situation where they're not at peace, we're not at peace with one another, or there isn't holiness. So we're considering one another to turn one another to peace, Blessed are the peacemakers. We're considering one another to turn one another to holiness. And that's what Christ says in, in uh, Matthew 5.22. I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So brethren, if you have any conflict with anybody, clear it up. It's not worth it. Clear it up. Love one another fervently. Wh whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, you fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Raka, whoever says you, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. In Galatians, Paul writes, For brethren, you have been called unto freedom. Only don't use your freedom for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So we're called to freedom. There's no... You know, at 9 o'clock you do this, at 9.15 you do this, at 9, there's no regimented process here. We're, we're free. But use the freedom, not for the flesh, but to love and serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware that you are not destroyed by each other. So unless there's peace, no man will see the Lord. And if we're biting and devouring one another, we're actually destroying one another. So Paul says, consider one another and provoke one another to love and to good works. In, in that vein, he says to the Thessalonians, we exhort you brethren, not you ministers, you brethren that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we exhort you brethren, warn them that are unruly, so there are brethren that are unruly. They don't want to be governed. They, they want an occasion for the flesh. And Paul is saying, it's the brethren that need to warn them and remind them that God is real and God is returning. And without peace and holiness, 
no man will see the Lord. Comfort the feeble-minded. So there are feeble-minded. There are people who are fearful. Our job is to comfort them, support the weak, and be patient toward all. Again, all, not all men. Looking, so back to Hebrews 12, looking diligently. We're to look diligently. This, this, is, this is serious work. God wants us to look diligently, he says. <clears throat> Lest any man fail of the grace of God. So again, he says, consider one another. In considering one another, we're searching diligently. We're looking, we're, we're taking stock of our congregation. We're seeing if a brother is in trouble, seeing if a sister is in trouble, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, how could he fail of the grace of God? Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So bitterness is something that can, take, that can occur within the body. And when bitterness takes place in the body, it becomes something that troubles the congregation, and many can be defiled. So bitterness is like a virus. When I'm bitter, I have to talk. I have to pull people aside and share my bitterness with them. And then they catch the virus, and they become bitter as well and many become defiled. And Christ told us that, he says in Matthew 24, and then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And there's no peace here, and there's no holiness here, and they will not see the Lord. And so we have to be careful and make sure that, warn each other, provoke each other to love. So when we hear bitterness, when we see bitterness, we should panic if we truly fear God. If we truly believe in God's word, when we see and hear bitterness, we should panic and provoke the brother or sister to love and good works. Peter said it here, You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So it can happen. There's no one saved, always saved. We have to just stay Endure to the end. And Satan has so many traps. He says here, in addition to bitterness being one of the key traps, he says, lest there be any fornicator, that anybody could, could fall into this trap. Any sexually perverse person. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For one morsel of meat, he sold his birthright. And it says, so we go back to Genesis, that Jacob boiled, boiled soup, and Esau came in the field, uh, came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray you, with some red soup, some red stew, because I'm faint. Therefore was his name called Edom, or Red. And Jacob said, Sell me today your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? So Esau is completely self-centered, and he's completely now-centered. He's not thinking like Abraham, where God made a promise to him, and Abraham's thinking eternally. 
Abraham's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God because he has a view into the future. Esau is just present tense. It's all about now. And it's all about staying alive now. He's not thinking, even if I die because of my birthright, because of my promise, there mu I must be coming back to life. And so it's all about today and not dying. The fear of death. So what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me today. And he swore to him. And he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he ate and drank and rose up and went his way. And this is how Esau despised his birthright. And so we can be the same. That we're human. We have passions. And rather than be thinking of holiness and seeing the Lord, we're thinking of satisfying these passions. And it's like, I just want satisfaction now. And we despise our birthright. We, des we despise the covenant. We despise the promise. God wants us to have a long-term view. And like Esau, it's like, well, what good is it? I'm, I'm about to die. What good is this to me? I have to stay alive at all costs. Unlike the, the faithful fathers who said, you know, Abraham says, even if I kill Isaac, God is going to bring him back to life. Because he's faithful. He, 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 can't, he cannot go against his word. And we know God cannot go against his word. So we don't, do, we don't behave in ways that have to do with our current physical life. That's, that's not our priority. Our priority is eternal life. For you know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. Afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. Paul is writing this for a reason. The people of God can be rejected. Don't, don't be complacent. Let's not be overconfident. Let's not think that God can't live without us. The people of God can be rejected. That's why this warning is here. That afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He says, For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. So the fathers, with Moses, they came to this mountain. He says, we're, we're not like this. This is, this is not our lot. We, we've come to something much higher. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word not, would not be spoken to them anymore. So they heard this great sound of the trumpet and they came to the mountain and then they begged that the word of God should not be spoken to them anymore. And if we go to Deuteronomy 5, verse 24, he says, And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the middle of the fire. We have seen this day that God does talk with man, and he lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? This was too much for them. For this great fire will consume us. It'll destroy us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we shall die. They were terrified. They were terrified, and they just said, you know what, this is not a good idea. 
Go you now, go you near, they're speaking to Moses, and hear all that the Lord our God shall say. So you go and talk to God, and speak you unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto you, and we will hear it and do it. So Moses, we don't want to go to God, and, and, and we could die. This, is, this, this glory is too much for us. You go. You talk with God, and then come back and report to us what you've heard, and then we, we will do what God says. He says it here in Hebrews, For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust, thrust through with a dart. That's how holy this mountain was. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. This is Moses in the presence of God's glory. He was exceedingly afraid and terrified. But we haven't come to this mountain, which the fathers were terrified. Moses himself was terrified. Paul is saying to the Hebrews and to us, the Hebrews of the 21st century, this is not the mountain that we've come to. He says, but you are, are come instead unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. And we know from Hebrews, from chapter 1, that these angels, this innumerable company of angels, are all ministering spirits sent forth to serve us, who are the heirs of salvation. This is what we've come to. And he spent chapters 7, 8, and 9 hoping that we'll grasp this vision of our high priest and, and the tabernacle that he operates within, and this new Jerusalem that's coming down to earth. This is what we've come to. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. So we're in the book of life. This, this is what we've come to. So they just came to the mountain and they were terrified. This is what we've come to. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made teleos. All these just men have been made teleos and they're just waiting for the resurrection and they're waiting for us. And this is what we've come to. This has to be our focus. And in addition to all of that, we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. This is who we've come to. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So Abel's blood just cried out for justice. But Christ's blood is, is the offering. It's the propitiation. It's what he brought to the Father to secure the reconciliation of Israel. So we've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Because of this, see that you refuse not him that speaks. Don't, this is the whole argument that Paul has been making. Don't turn back. That the fathers turn back and they receive severe punishment for it. And God swore that they will not enter into his rest. Now, God is speaking to us through a higher messenger. And we've come to just a higher calling. See that you refuse not him that speaks. Don't be like the fathers. For if they escaped not, who refused him that spoke on earth, that, that's Moses, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. That's Christ. So they didn't escape. 
And they incurred the wrath of God. And they just refused Moses. If we turn back, if we allow ourselves to be set with this sin of apostasy, of cowardice, that so easily besets us, and we deny Christ, how, how are we going to escape? And this is the argument that Paul has been making from the very beginning. Right from the beginning in chapter 2, he says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed, because of who's speaking to us. It's Christ himself from heaven. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Be careful. If we're negligent, this, this could slip away from us. For if the word spoken by angels was, was steadfast, it was good, it was solid, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, they were punished according to the terms and conditions, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. This is the argument that Paul has been making all along. And if we don't stay in context, we just swoop into chapter 12 and we say, oh, uh, be careful about sin. Don't the sin so easily besets us. You know, that's, that's the way sin is. It just kind of easily besets us. He's talking about the sin that easily besets us. And it's the sin of apostasy. It's the sin of cowardice. It's the sin of lacking faith. It's the sin of turning our back on Christ. It's the sin of refusing him who speaks to us from heaven. And this is the argument that he's making all throughout the book of Hebrews. Don't do this. I know it's tough. I know people are evil. I know it's going to be horrendous. But see that you do not refuse him who speaks from heaven. This is why we need the Holy. The Holy Spirit will empower us to go through anything. This is real. Let, let people run around and live their fantasy. And let them put their trust in men. We put our trust in God. We put our trust in this ancient text, which when we study it, it tells us everything that's going on around us. And then it gives us the playbook. It says, here's how to succeed. Back to Hebrews 12. Don't refuse him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying... Yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. So the, we read that in, in, in Revelation, that the stars are going to fall from heaven. He's going to shake heaven and earth. And he's calling here uh, uh, from a prophecy in Haggai, in Haggai 2 verse 5, we can cut in here and he says, According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Don't fear. Don't fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens, and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. This is his promise. He's going to shake heaven and earth, and then the desire of the nations shall come, and he will fill his house with glory. So, back to Hebrews, Paul says, And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken. So he's going to shake this when he says, yet once more, he's saying that what it means is, he's going to remove anything that can be shaken. The just shall live by faith. If we are not deemed just by God, we will be shaken. 
we will be bastards. So this is what it's all about, is, is being among those things that cannot be shaken. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made. And those things which cannot be shaken may remain. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. This is why we need to go through correction. This is why we need to hold on to eternal life. That those things which cannot be shaken may remain. It's a new world. And we'll just remember in Revelation 21.7, he says, He that overcomes shall inherit all things. It's the overcomers that cannot be shaken. It's the overcomers that remain. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That's it. We will be established. He will be our God. We will be his children. But the fearful, this is what Paul is warning the Hebrews against, and warning first century, now 21st century. This is what he's warning us against. We, we must be overcomers. Let us run with patience and endurance the race that is set before us. Let's read the book of Revelation and let's understand what this race is that we're engaged in, this agony, this agonizing contest. And let us run it with endurance. And he that endures to the end shall be saved. But the fearful and unbelieving, there's the sin of unbelief. This is what Paul has been arguing against throughout the entire book. The fearful and unbelieving, and then the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We cannot fool around with God. This is real. We've been called to something spectacular, and he's given us a part in it. Let us play our part, and let us play it with faithfulness. Let us run with, with patience, with endurance, this agonizing contest that's set before us. In 22.14 he says, Blessed are they that do his commandments. God commands it, we're just going to do it. And this, this doesn't just mean the Ten Commandments. Oh, I've got to do the Ten Commandments. It means his commandments. It means we're searching the scriptures. And wherever he says, do this, that's a command. And we're going to do it. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. And he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So he's going to shake the heavens and the earth. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And this brings us all the way back to Genesis, that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, that he had an intention. It was supposed to be a unified whole. And because of Adam, well, because of Satan and then Adam, everything went sideways. And he's moving back to his original intention to bring us to Telios, so that the heaven and earth can be one and we can be eternal with him. So he wraps up here in Hebrews 12. Therefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. This is an eternal kingdom. And we are eternal beings in this eternal kingdom. So therefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably. And again, the, the uh, subjunctive mood is used here with these verbs. It doesn't mean that we're going to have grace. It doesn't mean that we're going to serve God acceptably. It means he hopes that it will work out this way. He hopes that we will have grace. 
and he hopes that we will serve God acceptably and do his commandments with reverence and godly fear. I think it's my observation, and I include myself in this observation, we do not fear God enough. This sort of um, Protestant idea of Jesus, is, it sort of crept into us and it's programmed us, and it's this like, I'm okay, you're okay, God's okay, everything's okay, no problem, we're all just kind of, we're going to be in heaven, we're going to be in the kingdom, it's not heaven, it's heaven on earth, and it's all the same, and everything's good. And we don't have a sense of panic when there's a lack of holiness. We don't have a sense of panic when there's uh, aggression and conflict in the body. In fact, many times we're the perpetrators of, of conflict in the body. And we just don't care. We don't have this godly fear. It's good to fear God. Fearing God is a healthy thing. God wants us to fear Him. And so we need to serve, we need to have grace and serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Why, should we, why does Paul want us to serve God with fear? He says, he concludes, For our God is a consuming fire. I wonder if we think about that, that our God is a consuming fire. That, that's, that's pretty deep. That our God is a destroying fire. That's why the Israelites feared so much to speak with him. That's why Moses was exceedingly afraid. And this is what we need to understand, that we are dealing with the God of Israel, and he's not to be taken for granted. He's a consuming fire. So, let us fear God, and, and let us serve Him with reverence and godly fear, and warn the unruly. And this, this, this appeal to serve Him with fear, it's not new. It's the, from the beginning He said, let us therefore fear. We need to be afraid. We can't be complacent. We can't have this sense that, again, once saved, always saved, nothing to worry about, put our feet up, we're definitely going to be in the kingdom. There needs to be a sense of, we, this is a tall order. And we need all the help of the Holy Spirit we can get, and each other, and not forsake the assembly. Because we need to be encouraging each other. We need to be look, having each other's back. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of us should seem to come short of it. And this is why he needs us to consider one another. In Revelation we saw that, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. He's angry. The Jesus that's returning is full of wrath. The wrath of the Lamb is coming. We have to operate in such a way that we hide ourselves. The same way the uh, Israelites had to have blood over their doorposts so that the wrath could pass over them. We must have this same mindset. That this wrath that's coming upon the earth will pass over us because of the blood of Christ. So in, in Timothy, Paul says, and, and we'll just uh, wrap up with these last couple of scriptures. Do not, therefore, be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. They're going to try to make us ashamed. They're going to shame us. It's going to be evil. It's going to be hate speech. Paul says, do not, therefore... Be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, 
nor of me his prisoner, but be you a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. And that's what Hebrews is all about. That we're not to be ashamed of this testimony. And we're going to participate in the afflictions, in this agonizing contest of preaching this gospel and not backing down. And willingly partaking in the afflictions. And when we suffer these afflictions, Christ says, leap for joy. That's a command. Leap for joy when we encounter these afflictions of the gospel. According to the power of God. And so in Revelation we remember that he says, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from now on. It's a blessing to die in the Lord. It's a blessing to suffer for Christ's sake. And this, this has to be the view that we have going forward. If we have the human view that we mustn't suffer, we must never be uncomfortable, then we're not going to be successful. The view that we have to have is there's a finish line, there's a joy that was set before Christ, we're part of that joy, there's a hope that's set before us, we set our minds, we set our course, we, we make straight our paths, and we're not backing down. We're going to cross that, and we're going to cross that finish line together. We're going to look out for each other. We're going to support each other. We're going to provoke each other to love and to good works. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Oh, you mean we don't rest now? We don't go to Sabbath services, put our feet up, and have a coffee. I, I, I thought we could rest. I thought the Sabbath was all about rest. I didn't know there was work to do. We labor to enter into that rest. This is not the time for rest. This is the time to labor. And we're going to services to be strengthened in the Spirit so that we can do the work of the Spirit. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And then finally here, we'll just conclude in Revelation 12, 11, They overcame the devil. And we overcome the devil's puppets by the blood of the Lamb. This, this, this is our understanding. That the, it's the wrath of God we are concerned about, not the wrath of man, not the wrath of the devil. And so we're going to overcome him because we believe in the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of our testimony. It's all about having the testimony. This is how we win. We win through our testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. So let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Because when we cross that finish line, when there's chaos all around and everybody's losing their minds, and we keep our mind focused on meeting the Lord, and we look after each other, and we encourage and we provoke one another, and we cross that finish line, then we're going to rise in glory with all of the other saints who are waiting for us. And this is why we must endure. Jesus Christ is Lord. We have one more chapter. And God willing, we'll cover that next week. Remember that we do have the chats. So if you'd like to join us on the chat, uh, please um, feel free to join us at uh, cgi.churchonline.org cgi.churchonline.org and we can have some uh, question and answer real-time chat also don't forget to share so if you like what you've heard uh, don't forget to like us on Facebook 
And uh, that's good, you know, just help people see uh, some of these um, messages. But also, uh, don't forget that uh, we would like you to share. It's good to share. Sharing is good. And, and you know, if there's somebody you think, hey, there's a brother or a sister that could benefit from this message, I think direct sharing is best. We share it with an, an individual and say, I, I think you'll get something out of this study, or share it with a group. Uh, that, that's part of our preaching the gospel. It's part of our testimony. So we're all in this together. Uh, Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's coming soon. God bless.